Hi everyone, it's Gina and Earth, and you're listening to Unpacked Global Citizens. Every episode, we'll explore the topics of home, community, language, and belonging. Our guests are people like you, who are global citizens from all walks of life, who will take you through their ups and downs and lessons learned. We hope to share with you practical advice and personal insights on what it means to be uprooted and how to make the most of it. So whether you've just settled into your new home, about to make a big move, or thinking of a change, this one's for you. There is no one definition of global citizen. It's a complex and multifaceted topic. Today, we'll be unpacking another aspect of being a global citizen with someone who grew up in between nations without a passport. A global citizen who was born and grew up in the refugee community. The UN Refugee Agency estimates that global force displacement has reached 103 million by mid-2022. It's a staggering number. Over 32.5 million are refugees. We are happy to welcome Tashi as our guest on today's podcast. Tashi grew up in a Tibetan refugee community in India with her parents and the rest of her family dispersed around the world in various diaspora communities. From the beginning, growing up without a passport or national identity, she received scholarships that took her around the world attending boarding school in the UK and then university in the US. Today, she works in the education space as a learning product lead for a leading management consulting firm in Boston. Through her travels across the world, Tashi will share how her upbringing has shaped her and her worldviews. I loved listening to this conversation with Tashi and Earth, and I hope that you'll enjoy it as well. So Tashi, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Okay, so I was born in India, Missouri, and then from there... I went to UWC, Atlantic College. So that's in Wales. It's in Lantwit Major, a tiny like town. And then from there for college, I went to New Hampshire, Hanover. And then after that, I lived, or I should say, I like moved to mm-hmm. Minnesota, which is where my parents live currently. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Boston. So currently I'm in Cambridge, which is in the greater Boston area. Mm-hmm. I see. And you said you were born in India, but you're actually not Indian, are you? Yes. So I am Tibetan. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So when people ask you where you're from, mm-hmm. what do you usually tell them? Has this changed over time? Yeah. Are there different mm-hmm. versions of the answer depending on who you speak to? Actually, that's like an interesting question because I think that's one mm. thing that stayed consistent for me when I was a kid I never really had to mention I was Tibetan mm-hmm. it's just because I look different or I look more East Asian than Indian people at least in the region I lived in mm-hmm. they knew I was different and they kind of mm-hmm. knew I was Tibetan so I never really thought much about that but since I've been able to kind of choose or define my identity I've always said I'm a Tibetan and then I say mm-hmm. born in India or in the US I say I'm Tibetan so mm-hmm. they always ask my first answer is always Tibetan. So mm. that's stayed consistent throughout all my life where I could choose my own identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually interesting. I never oh. thought about it. Yeah. 
So you said it's always been consistent that you're mm-hmm. Tibetan. Yeah, my first and foremost mm-hmm. identifier. But you actually have never been to <laughs> Tibet, Tibet, yeah, right? Yeah, I've never been to Tibet. So what does it mean to be a Tibetan? I feel like identity is just so interesting in the sense that I say I'm Tibetan because my parents are Tibetan, mm-hmm. their parents were Tibetan, and they left Tibet in, I think, the 50s or 60s to mm-hmm. kind of escape from, like, all the political turmoil that, like, you know, with all the Chinese communist party and army, et cetera, et cetera. So not going mm-hmm. too political, mm-hmm. but that aspect of our identity was something that was very held closely mm-hmm. by my grandparents and my parents too. So this idea of being Tibetan, and I'm sure it's evolved for people, like mm-hmm. each person from the diaspora identifies differently. Mm-hmm. But that is something that was really inculcated in me, like since I was a child. And mm. I think maybe every person's answer is different. But for me, it just means that culturally, I identify as Tibetan. I grew up Tibetan. So yeah, it's not tied to my lived experience or lack mm. of lived experience in Tibet. But yeah, I think it's just like inherited from my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's such a strong identity. Definitely. It, it sounds like. Yeah. We have been hanging out around Paris this past week. Yes. And going around in different shops or restaurants. You said you were able to notice exactly who is also Tibetan, Mm -hmm. right? Can you tell us more about (laughs) what's that like? Mm -hmm. Because for many of us, we might be able to say, okay, these families look kind of Mm -hmm. American or look kind of Asian, maybe Mm -hmm. they're Thais, but not so strongly the way you could identify Tibetan. But I want to preface that with, I'm sure I have an error. (laughs) There's an error margin somewhere where I may be wrong. But usually we can always tell when the other person's Tibetan and it's weird, but I guess we just give the Tibetan vibes or whatever. Mm. It might also be because of the fact that we're a very small population and Mm -hmm. no matter where you are in the diaspora, like in the world or which part you belong to, we identify with that heritage because it was taken away from us. Mm. So I think, you know how then you fight harder and you try to care more about it i think Mm. that might drive my parents idea and as i get older even my thought process so i think Mm. trying to kind of hold on to something that you never had but you have this like concept so i'm sure if i go to tibet i'll be very different so i think that lived experience no matter which area of the world you live in we Mm. connect on that and i guess that's how we just know i'd say all tibetan people have no matter what experience they have in the community they still feel strongly towards being Tibetan. And that might be different Mm. for each person having their different experiences. So Mm. I think we just connect on that. And I know it's weird, but it's beautiful in its own way. (laughs) Definitely. It's something I've never seen or experienced in other culture Mm. so strongly. Yeah. Talking about Tibetan and holding on to this identity Mm -hmm. because it was taken away from Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. How do you connect with other Tibetan now or with your family? Mm -hmm. Because a few generations since your grandparents left, your parents moved to India where Mm -hmm. you were born, Mm -hmm. and now they're based in the U.S. So it's been quite a long journey, Mm -hmm. but for for some reason, the culture and identity are still very strong. I'm not very involved in the Tibetan community, to be honest. Mm. And I've never been because I didn't really grow up in a Tibetan. I went to an Indian school, so I felt more Indian. But I think the original question in terms of what you identify as, I would always say Tibetan, no matter how Tibetan I felt. Mm. Because 
that's just something ingrained in me. But growing up, I like my behavior or my thought process is very Indian influenced because I had mm. all Indian friends. So that's definitely a strong part of me. I think choosing identifiers, I always default to Tibet, just knowing that all my family is going through to mm. hold on to that. But I think now I'm not very well involved in the Tibetan community. Mm. I just never have been. I, growing up, I just didn't feel comfortable. I just felt very other, even in the Tibetan community, because mm-hmm. my Tibetan wasn't that good. I spoke better Hindi. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just felt different because we didn't go to the same schools. You know, mm-hmm. didn't understand the same like slang. But the older I'm getting, the more interested I am in like what's our history, like what's our background, even religion. Like I always mm-hmm. joke that I'm culturally Buddhist, but right. now I'm like more intrigued in terms of what made our parents, grandparents so dedicated towards like mm. a specific thing and it might just be something you inherit but yeah so i think in cambridge massachusetts i've been hanging out with a little bit more tibetan so i know like, mm. two tibetan people like friends mm-hmm. and through them i've met other tibetan people in the community mm. but before that my interactions with tibetans were i would say 90 percent family mm. yeah i see i see and you mentioned a bit about like speaking hindi better so mm-hmm. what are all the languages that you speak? Which one feels most natural to you yeah. at which stages of I your life? I would say so. I speak English, Tibetan, and Hindi. I would say, of course, English feels most natural. And I feel that's the language I can eloquently share my thoughts, complex and simple. But there's always times where I look for words in the other language because I can remember it in mm. another language, but don't find the direct translation And I just think it's funny. When I was a kid, I mean, I've always spoken Tibetan. But because I spoke more proper Tibetan at home, I didn't feel comfortable with kids because they spoke like more slang or colloquial Mm -hmm. language. Versus at home, I spoke very proper Tibetan. So they used to make fun of me, the kids. And then Hindi, it's just something that I feel inherited from like TV, like my Mm -hmm. Indian friends. And I studied it in school too. So I would say as a child... English has been kind of pretty consistent because our medium of education is English. Mm-hmm. With Tibetan and Hindi, I would say Tibetan more and Hindi less now. Mm. But depending on my life and where I was, it would like vary, go back and forth. And with your family, mm-hmm. which language do you speak in? I would say it's a mix of Tibetan and English. And then mm. with my sister, mix of Tibetan, English and Hindi, depending on how we feel. My dad's Hindi is not that good. (laughs) So Mm. he speaks more in Tibetan. And with all the places Mm -hmm. you have lived in and with your distinct identity, what does home mean to you? Home means where my parents are. That's like my simplest approach to home. Mm -hmm. When they lived in India, home was India. They Mm -hmm. live in Minnesota right now. Home is Minnesota. No matter where I've lived, Mm -hmm. I just associate wherever my parents live as home for some reason. And I've just Mm. recently realized that. I just Mm -hmm. think it's interesting. But yeah, I'd say home is where my parents are. Was there a big shift for you as well when your parents moved in terms of how you felt about like identity and belonging? Not really, Mm because I mean, they moved to the States when I was a freshman in college. Mm. So I never had to think of like going to school in an American school in terms of high school or a middle school I was already in college and I was already Mm. living my experiences separated from my parents experience Mm. so definitely didn't feel like I had to be the immigrant child take on the burden of like doing things for them 
which I wish I could have done more for them. Mm. Because later on, I was like, oh, I could have done so much. But at that point, I was like 18. I didn't think much. I was so busy and happy in my own life. (laughs) Just like eating Thai food every other day. Right. I don't think I've like inherited any of that. But I'm a little bit more conscious now that, Mm -hmm. you know, how can I help at home and stuff? But Mm -hmm. there are experiences from like moving to the States and mine didn't really overlap much. I saw them only during the holidays. I have like a lot of family in the States too. So didn't really get down to like the details of mm-hmm. being like a, you know, fresh immigrant right, <laughs> to the States. Right. Yeah. I see. And when you think about your own transitions and moves, what would you say were some of the defining moments or some of the profound moments that have really shaped your experiences? Like in life? Yeah. Can be any transition that you have mm-hmm. gone through. That could be like, okay, you know, yeah. I really appreciated having these experiences mm-hmm. or it really sucks. It's really difficult. Yeah, I think a couple of things that come to mind mm-hmm. is I've had a very like easy childhood. One of the main defining moments for me, of course, going to school in Wales was interesting boarding school. Mm-hmm. But I still very comfortable, found an amazing group of friends. Mm-hmm. But my first, like I would say, defining or like a very jarring experience was going to Switzerland for a holiday. Mm-hmm. And I've had the privilege of always speaking the language of the areas or the regions I've lived in mm-hmm. and being able to share my thoughts as mm-hmm. a complex thoughts, like simply and not right. be frustrated. Right. But when I went to Zurich for a month for my winter holidays to visit family, I think they speak German there. Swiss German. Yeah. yeah. And I just didn't know what to say. Like I just felt so limited and I was so frustrated and, My cousin didn't have time because they were working. So at that point, I felt so handicapped. And that was my first experience of what it would be like when you can't speak a language, when you're in a foreign place. And I also Mm. didn't have my own money because I was like 16. Mm. That was one of the first experiences where I was like, okay, financial independence is important. And I also thought I'd never want to go to a country where I couldn't speak the language, which definitely I didn't follow through with. But I think that was one And then graduating high school was another one because this concept of identity, people would tell me that, oh, but you've born in India, so you're Indian. But I never felt Indian because I just never felt accepted as an Mm. Indian. I mean, people were amazing. They were kind. Mm -hmm. And I love India. Like such a big part of my heart belongs there. Like I'm happy when I see other Indian people or eat Indian food. Mm -hmm. But I know it's not reciprocated because I just don't look like them. Mm. So for me, that has always been a part growing up in an Indian community I knew I was other and they were very kind but I was always other so there's this whole conversation of people telling me who I am Mm -hmm. and that was a big I would say moment where I was like no identity is something that I choose for myself Mm -hmm. and what I identify as and people cannot tell me who I am Mm -hmm. because it's my decision and I think that was very liberating for me Mm because it was very confusing like you know being a third culture kid being Mm -hmm. like who am I What am I? And I realized it's okay for me to choose to be a certain way. Mm. And another Tibetan, like, you know, India born person to choose their own experiences and identify as something else. Mm -hmm. Because we are all separate people. Right. right? right. So I think that was a very defining moment too for me to decide who I was. After that, it's been pretty much the same. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there are moments of clarity and like moments of revelations, but nothing that was jarring enough for me to remember right now. Mm, I see. Yeah. And what about some of the perks or things that you really appreciate about being multicultural or being a third culture kid? There's always something to talk about. Mm -hmm. 
no matter where I go, whether it's work, whether it's like, I'm an interesting person. (laughs) I don't think I am, (laughs) but everyone else thinks Mm because my lived experiences are different from others. So, but again, I don't want to be like that weird one or that like different one. Mm. But I feel like no matter where I go, just like introducing some aspects of myself, people are always like have something to talk about, Mm. whether it's my interests or like my identity or where I come from. So I think that's always been good. That's always a good conversation starter, Ah. no matter how awkward it is. (laughs) (laughs) And what has been some of your most valuable lessons learned? Damn, that's a heavy one. Like in life... Oh, it sounds super cheesy, but it's okay to just exist. I feel like, and I'm sure you can relate, we're always running towards something. But I feel like now, just like recently, I've realized like, it's okay to just exist Mm -hmm. and just take in things and not try to run and compare yourself and just like not be burdened all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankfully good at like compartmentalizing, like I'll be very stressed, but I'll forget about it. And then just I live in the moment. The biggest thing is trying to be kind to myself. It's really hard just being kind to myself. And I always joke (laughs) with you, manifest something like positive. Mm. And I don't know, I feel like that helps you be like kinder. So I think the older I get, it's not about being more successful at work. Mm -hmm. It's not about being rich. I mean, those are all great things to have. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely, I think, loving yourself and being kind to yourself and that in itself will let you lead a better life. Right, right. So, I mean, it's easy to talk about it. Like, I want to live that. And that's mm-hmm. something I want to work towards. And I am kind of working towards mm-hmm. at the moment. That's so. really good. Yeah. It's such a valuable lesson mm-hmm. for everyone in general yeah. with regards to being in a transition or mm-hmm. being multicultural and navigating yeah. one's identity and belonging. Mm-hmm. But I think, especially with COVID, everyone yeah. needs a little bit of love. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Mm. if we don't love ourselves, like, how the hell can we love somebody else? Mm. That's RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) Mama Ru said that. I mean, it's so true. Like, you know, if you're not Mm. kind to yourself, how can you be kind to others? If you don't love yourself, how can you love others? Like, we are the main characters of our stories and Mm. we need to take care of ourselves in order to be better like children better partners just better people so i mean i really really identify with it but i just have to like try to work towards practicing it and Mm -hmm. does that mean like you know putting in extra effort to do something you don't feel like doing does it mean taking care of yourself like you know your Mm -hmm. mental health your physical health in whatever capacity and each person that's different so i think that's like the biggest takeaway for me Mm -hmm. as we get older yeah Yeah. yeah. being kind very profound <laughs> was there a defining moment or event that made you uh, learn this valuable lesson? I mean, not defining per se, but it's just like amalgamation of like all the experiences, like whether it's working too hard, like mm. why are we working so hard type conversations, trying to work towards something. But what is that something that you're working towards? Like stressing about things which are out of your control. I think like there's so many things that kind of, came together and Mm -hmm. like seeing people you know friends I know who are doing well thinking about things like other friends who are very like put together and having all these conversations have made me realize that if we don't take ourselves right now 
is just not truly worth just living for the sake of living. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these are like heavy concepts to try to implement in your life. But I think just being aware of it is a great first step. Mm-hmm. And then moving on would be ideally like, you know, doing smaller things to, mm-hmm. I don't know, be more positive would mm-hmm. be the next steps. But right. yeah. What advice would you give to someone who is in transition right now, mm-hmm. you know, or is still trying to navigate a new place, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, or like, in other words, if you were to look back at your younger selves mm-hmm. in some of those more difficult, mm-hmm. challenging, unknown moments, mm-hmm. what would you tell your younger self? It's okay to be uncomfortable. People like kind of thrive for some kind of comfort or some kind of like easy way out. And it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And silences are okay. Discomfort is okay. Each person will approach things differently because your personalities are different mm-hmm. and that's okay too. So I say like for me, because I've like gone to so many different schools when I was a child and just lived in so many different experiences or like places and stuff, I've always been very easy to kind of assimilate, almost like a chameleon where I'll talk to anyone, be friends mm-hmm. with anyone. And I guess that's like my way of like surviving mm-hmm. and like existing. But in all of those moments, I feel like I wish like I had thought and it's really hard but I wish I thought like it's okay to be uncomfortable you know it's a new time and mm-hmm. also realizing it's also for others too right so mm-hmm. and then the main thing is like doing something about it and just thinking and like mm-hmm. you know and just, just like overthinking things or like reminiscing I have like a big big problem of a lot of regret about everything I didn't do or if I did something I regret mm-hmm. it so I think when you're going through these big transitions, it's so easy to regret your decisions, whether it's small ones or big ones, but just like taking ownership of what you've done and then taking down like actionable items to like, how could you improve yourself or your experiences or your move, whether it's like tangible actions or whether it's like self-care. I think those really help make things easy, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's great. So deep. <laughs> Do you feel like home where you are now? No. I don't know what home is like. I think you had mentioned that like staying in one place feels like home. And I've been in like Cambridge or I should say Boston. So people don't get confused. But been in Boston for about like two years, almost three years now. This is my third year. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't feel like home. And also I have like commitment phobia. So I don't know. I just feel like if I stay there too long, if mm-hmm. I buy too many good things, like, you know, it's like me committing to this place. So, yeah, I think for me, home still is Minnesota, where I think where my parents are. And it's hard for me to think of any other place as home. And it also kind of scares me a little when I think some place might become home or I get too comfortable. And that's something I need to reflect on. And that's something I just recently thought about based on our conversation mm-hmm. about like home and like putting down roots. Mm-hmm. So I need to like self-analyze why I feel that way. But it's very scary when I think of like committing to a place. But that's how I feel about committing to anything. (laughs) That is something for me to kind of decipher. But yeah, for me right now, like I think of home wherever my parents are. And even though I lived in like India when I was a child and for such a long time, now it's not home Mm -hmm. because my parents are no longer there. So if my parents moved tomorrow to Italy, Italy will be home for me. That's how I feel. And I don't know. That could get problematic later on. So I'm a little concerned about that too. So how do you view where you currently live? Is that a place to be for work? Or is that 
part of your journey, you know, like some stops along the way, because yeah. you have done a lot. And mm-hmm. same with me and a lot yeah. of people listening to this. I don't know. Like, I feel like it is home for mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to be there like permanently. At the moment, I don't feel like committing to that place. I'm even like not comfortable committing to a lease. I've always wanted to live like all over the world. So my next thing, I would love to move to another city. And again, moves mm-hmm. are hard. You can make friends again. So I do realize that in the older you get, it's harder to make friends or just like kind of uproot yourself and refigure who you are and what you want. But right now, like my location where I live feels like home for now. Like mm-hmm. it's home. I feel comfortable when I get back. I'm excited to go home tomorrow, like sleep in my bed. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like a forever place. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just associated with my apartment or if it's associated with the location itself. Mm-hmm. But it feels like home for now. Thank you so much, Tashi, for joining us today. It was super cool hearing about your stories. And I think the advice you shared with us is super relevant and helpful for every one of us right now. Thank you. I'm trying to implement that in my life. So hopefully others can do the same. Definitely. Thank you, Tashi. And we'll be back in the next episode, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Unpacked Global Citizens with your host, Earth and Gina. We're so happy to have you in our community. If you enjoyed this, share it with your friends. Want to share your experiences with us or wish we would ask a particular question? Find us on Instagram and Twitter at unpacked.globalcitizens. Citizens.